Hey, good morning, good morning. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to the chapel at Warren Valley. Now, if you have someone behind, behind you, in front of you, sideways, you know, can you give them a fist bump or a handshake or a hug and tell them, I'm glad you're here and God bless you. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Just came back from vacation and uh, Lord, what a, it's just so wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you in good times and in bad, Lord. And Lord, we ask you, Father, that you would, we would feel your presence today. Lord, we pray for a blessing on Pastor Tim as he brings the message to us. We pray for blessings and uh, from, for the worship team, Lord God. May your presence be felt today. Lord, with blessings on each and every person that's here and those that are coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God is able, and let's sing this over to things in our lives that we think he's not able to do. God is able, he will never fail, and he is almighty God. He's greater, greater than all we see, greater than all we ask. He has done great things. Lifted up, he defeated the grave, raised to life, and our God is able, and in his name we overcome, for the Lord our God is God is able, he's on our side. God is with us, God is on our side. He will make a way far above, far above all we know, far above all we hope. He's done great things, he has done great things. Lifted up, he defeated the grave, raised to life, our God is able, in his name we overcome, for the Lord our God is God is with us, he will go before us, let's sing God is with us, 
and God is with us, and He will go before, He will never leave us, He will never leave us, God is for us, and He has open arms, He will never fail us, He will never fail, God is with us, and God is with us, and He Defeated the grave, raised to life. Our God is able in His name, in His name. We overcome for the Lord. Our God is able. Lift it up. He defeated the grave, raised to
was dead is now alive. You gave to me the breath of life. You brought me up out from the grave. And I'm bursting out with songs of praise. What once was dead is now alive. You gave to me the breath of life. You brought me up out from the grave. And I'm bursting out with songs of Lord, we praise you this morning. Give you glory and honor. Hallelujah, 
God, there's not much more that we can say in prayer after that song, but thank you. Thank you for the blood applied. It's applied to me. It's washed us white. There was a chasm. There was no way for me to get across. Everybody in this room knows themselves and everybody is their harshest critics. We know we're not deserving of the grace that you've given to us, but we thank you for giving it to us for the mercy that you poured out to us by taking your own son's life so that I and everybody in this room, if they believe, can go free. We thank you this morning, God. Help us to continue to thank you as we hear from your word this morning, Lord. Thank you for this time of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, beside you or maybe under you, is a sheet of verses, okay? Under you if you didn't see it when you sat down, okay? Um, those are the passages that we're gonna be looking at this morning. We <clears throat> typically um, preach through sections of scripture. Uh, occasionally we'll drift into what can be called topical preaching, which uh, is fine. Uh, I don't think ultimately and long-term nearly as reliable as working our way through portions of scripture, but our desire is always to do this. It is to be tethered to the word of God in everything we say. Uh, because as pastors, we do not believe that our opinions contain any authority or value apart from God's truth. Okay, so we want to be clear about that. That's why I'm giving you these texts because I know sometimes it's uh, like speed dialing, right? Trying to find the passage and uh, you don't want to talk to your phone in church. So I'm trying to help you with that. Another thing I just want to say real quick is that a number of our college students are uh, going to be going back to college and just want to ask you to be praying for them, for God's protection uh, to be upon not only their lives and their hearts, but also their minds. Because we live in an increasingly challenging age for young people when they go into the context of academia. So I wanna really encourage you to be praying that God would be protecting and having their hearts completely under his protection. Also, uh, just a reminder to be praying for Bill and Jess, who I see are not here today. Uh, are they out in the foyer? Okay, hi Bill and Jess out in the foyer. I actually see Jess now, or Bill now. Uh, so pray for them. They are uh, like right on the threshold of giving birth to a child. And then uh, Kim and Anthony also uh, are uh, getting real close. Like you guys are how far off? About a week, okay. And you said you're going to work today? Gosh. I mean, I'm brave, but I'm not that brave. <laughs> wow. 
So the topic of our discussion this morning is the problem of pride, the most dangerous attitude. Proverbs 6.16 says this, and each of these you'll find in order uh, on your sheet. Yes. Proverbs 6.16 says this. It says, there are six things God hates and seven that he detests. And the first on the list is a proud look. If you take into account the rule of first mention in list, you know that there is typically a greater emphasis being placed on the first thing that's in the list. If you read through the rest of this list, it is, it is disturbing, uh, it is troubling, and the truth is that those attributes and attitudes we often find manifest in our own lives. But the first thing that God says that he hates, it's a fascinating word, isn't it? God hates pride. It is weighted and heavy in this text. Pride is a serious matter, therefore, that we must not ignore. Pride is difficult to admit, hard to detect, at least in myself, but I am very capable of seeing it in you. I just want you to know that. Tim Keller said this, he said, pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It silently and slowly kills you without you even knowing it. So this morning, I want us to look at this topic. I want you to listen. So I put it in my notes. I want you to listen with the kitchen fork, not with the pitchfork. Do you know the difference? With the pitchfork, you're like, man, I wish so-and-so was here today. <laughs> of all days for my husband not to be here. Okay. It's called bright. Okay. And we're all prone to it in the strangest ways and in the most damaging ways. So I want to start this morning first with a definition of pride. And to define it, I first want to make a distinction. Okay. Um, is it possible for pride to be appropriate? Okay. If God says, I hate pride, unconditional. Okay. I, is it possible for me to have pride in something and not have that pride be sinful? And the answer, I think, very clearly is yes. Galatians 6.4 says this. It says, each one should take care of his, of his own business, his own territory, his own turf. And he should take pride in the fact that he's accomplished that, that there is a, a sense in which I have God-given responsibilities and I should take pride in doing that, okay? But it's not a self-exalting pride that is clearly condemned in this text. I can be proud of my kids as long as I'm not proud of my work in my kids. Because when you take credit for the outcome that God inspired by his capacity in and through you, you have de-godded God and exalted yourself. Okay, so I must be very careful in that kind of realm. I, I am sometimes proud of my yard. I am currently not proud of my yard because we fit the season of crabgrass. And crabgrass, like if you're away for three days, it'll, I, I, I can't see parts of my house, okay? 
So I don't have pride. But when, I, when, I've, when I've done it, I've worked hard, there's a sense in which you step back and you have that sense of accomplishment, that that looks good, that the work that I did, you know, I, 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 I'm a little bit of a handyman, not nearly the handyman that many people are. I can do certain jobs and step back and say, yeah, that came out pretty good, huh? To my wife. And I'm waiting for applause. Okay. <laughs> Some reason that my wife is not easily impressed. She's a very modest person. I'm surprised she was willing to marry me, to be quite honest. Pride becomes sinful when it is self-focused and self-elevating. Okay, and I want you to see that distinction. This is an appropriate sense of pride, but when it is being shared for the purpose of self-exaltation, for self-elevation, and I'm going to tell you, that is a fine line. I, I have caught myself in circumstances where I have, let's say I've been with someone for a couple hours going out to dinner. There's been a lot of talking. I have caught myself thinking back, why did I say that? You get this kind of dirty, messy feeling. Why did I bring that up? Why was I so concerned that that get communicated? On occasion, I've had to say to someone, you know what? I don't know why I said that. Or I'm painfully aware of why I said that. Pride is tricky. The temptation is strong. I may speak of my kids in a way that exalts myself and my input in their lives. And when I do that, I am stealing glory from God who enabled me to have that kind of an impact in their lives through the gospel that has changed me and made me an adequate counselor for them. You know, I'm a grandparent. And uh, I have pictures on my phone. (laughs) And if you want to see them, I'm really glad to show them to you. <laughs> okay? But I am, in that context, very tempted to be proud in an inordinate fashion. Does that make sense? I'm just being honest. Sinful pride is my needing to feel better than those around me. Proverbs 11 verse 12 says this. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor. A man of understanding holds his tongue. Pride, of, pride is manifest. This sinful sense of pride that is self-exalting is often found in constant fault-finding, constant comparison. I, if I am living with sinful pride, I tend to take pleasure in being better and more accomplished than those around me and being more attractive. Well, I don't struggle with that, okay? In having a better job, in being more wealthy, there are insidious ways that pride creeps in and exalts self above others. Proverbs eleven twelve says, a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor. He wants to see himself as better. So he constantly degrades those in his sphere of influence so that he can look like somebody. And I want to tell you something. We all do it. It is pathetic when you honestly sit back and think about it. It's the danger of social media. 
The dark side of social media is that some of us, and I, I, I've, I've just had to stay away. I don't trust myself. There's this one and desire for people to know how good my life is. I don't find people posting things like, had a really difficult time with my child last night. They were in rebellion and I was so angry. A picture of that. Oh no, you know why? It doesn't make you look good. When my daughter, youngest daughter got off Facebook, she said, I hope your life is as good as you make it sound. She understood a tendency in herself to want to feel and appear better than others. If you have it, probably the majority of you do. I'm not saying that it's essentially sinful, but I will tell you that it is tempting to drift into pride. Think about what you post and think about what you refuse to post and why. Okay? Just be careful. Please be careful. Sinful pride is manifest in an overly high self-estimation. So in verse 6, the thing that God hates is a proud look, a, a sense of independence, a sense of I can handle this, I can deal with this on my own, and I am above everyone else around me who is struggling. It's that sense of pride, that, that self-esteem that is elevated and exalted in a way that is dangerous. And God so clearly warns us against it. A proud look is a sense of self-trust. It is a sense of sufficiency that can make God under unnecessary and perhaps irrelevant in my life. So be careful. Sinful pride is a declaration of independence. The kind that God says he hates is the kind that says, I don't need God. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? When he went out on the roof of his palace and he said, is not this great Babylon that I have built? And God emotionally assaulted him to bring him down to the place he would finally acknowledge the glory of God. Folks, that is a blessed rebuke. That is a blessed dismantling by God. When he allows us to see the truth. And that is that you are not all that you think you are. And that you are much more desperately in need of God's help and assistance. And favor in your life than you could ever imagine. So he hates the thing that draws you into independence. Into ugliness. Into self-affirmation. And self-exaltation. He hates it. Proverbs 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It says, I want to be in control of my life. And at the root of my sinful pride is a profound self-trust. I don't need God. I've got this. And I, I've found myself in days where I am cruising along, careless concerning God himself and what he desires and my desperate need for him. One writer said this, he said, pride takes innumerable, innumerable forms, but it has only one end, and that is self-exaltation. So what is sinful pride? Sinful pride, at the end of the day, always wants me to look pristine, always wants me to be admired. 
And that is why that is so dangerous, because it can begin to manipulate everything around me. So here's the question. Why does God use such strong words when he goes after pride? Why does he say, I hate it? And here's the answer. Okay, pride is never static. It's not inert. I can't have pride and have it be inert. It is always an active ingredient in my psyche, in my personality, in my true self. It is always active. Proverbs 16, 18 says this. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Okay, so it is, it is active. It is moving me in the direction. It is changing me in some devastating fashion. It never resides without effect. So when you see it in your life, kill it because God hates it. Run from it, flee from it, beg God for a humble heart. A proud spirit always leads to ruin. There is always a negative progression and momentum that is applied. And it is always degrading and dangerous for everyone in your sphere of influence, including yourself. So what are the symptoms of sinful pride? I'm just... I'm just going to give you a few. Uh, you're not going to look at everyone and say, okay, that's me, that's me, that's me. My hope is that as we uncover the symptoms of pride that are presented in Scripture, we'll, we'll kind of be able to dial in on, yeah, that gets pretty close to home. Okay? So please don't, don't look at it like, if, if, if I'm going to be truly humble, I have to identify with every negative aspect of pride so that I can be proud of how humble I am. Okay? That becomes, I've done it. I've done it. I've shared failures in my life so that people know I'm humble. Okay, that's a public confession. Not that I had to tell them that I have failures. But what are the symptoms of pride? Here are just a few. Number one, I can't receive advice or take criticism. How do you respond when someone finds fault in your life, you probably respond like me. How dare you? Right? There is something painful about my wife saying, there's something we need to talk about. So wonder what her problem is, right? <laughs> so Proverbs 12, 15 says this. It says, fools think their own way is right. But the wise, where was I? Sorry. Preaching makes you humble. 12, 15. I have 15 in my mind. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. You know, a, a, a person who is full of pride becomes a fool because they become impervious to the criticism or advice of those around them 1310 it says pride leads to conflict but those who take advice are wise if i find criticism offensive if i am easily put off if i am sparky and reactive i am drifting into sinful pride when i'm proud i don't seek advice because i don't need it right i'm 
self-sufficient. I've, I've distanced myself from God. I have so glorified myself. My self-estimation is so high that I can't imagine receiving help from you. That's the essence of my pride. Those who take advice are wise. Proverbs 29.1 says this, whoever stubbornly refuses to, ex- to accept criticism will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. That's the progression. I allow pride to so infiltrate my life, that sense of self-sufficiency, that I now become vulnerable to independent decisions that lead to ruin in my life. 29.1 to me is a sobering verse. Whoever refuses to accept input, critique, advice, help will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. It can, it can be so devastating that I never get fully back from it. I can't take advice or criticism. Second symptom of pride, I tend to isolate. I tend to isolate. This is a form of pride that I think is subtle and quiet. When I, when, I, when I struggle and when I fail, I hide and I conceal my weaknesses because I find criticism and disapproval to be devastating. I can't bear the thought of not measuring up. And so I hide, I, 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 I call it low self-esteem, but it's really a sense of pride, right? I can't abide your disapproval. I want to feel like somebody, self-exalted. So what do I do? I begin to isolate, to hide, to conceal. I want to tell you something. When sin enters into your life, it will always lead to isolation. And it is pride that isolates you because you fear, I fear, being exposed. And that is the most devastating form of pride because it takes me away from what I desperately need. I isolate from the community and the help of the church community that I desperately need to become the person that God designed for me to be. I become vulnerable because I was created for community to be interdependent, not independent, right? And that's why Galatians 6 then says this. It says, if a brother is overtaken in a fault, And you are conscious and aware of that. You that are spiritual, in touch with God, walking with God, having your heart in check. Restore such a one with the spirit of meekness, of humility, not pride, not condescending. Come to them in a way that makes correction acceptable. Come to them humbly. Don't give advice in an arrogant fashion. We can do that. We can be condescending and hypercritical and pulverizing to people's inner being. Paul's so clear. He says, when you are going to someone to help them, go with a humble heart. So I ask you this morning, are you receptive to advice, to counsel, and to correction? I have a very wise friend because he... You know, when people say things like give you advice, like, hey, here's something I, that I do in my life. And I'm thinking, you're probably telling me because that's something I need to do. Okay? Here's what he said to me. He said, hey, Pastor Tim, because I have a tendency to react. Okay? You say something to me, I got a response. Okay? It's just one of my weaknesses and flaws. 
He said, when someone says something to you that you don't like, makes a suggestion that you were not initially open to, say this, say, I need to take that into consideration. Meaning, don't dismiss advice, don't dismiss criticism. Instead, say, it is possible that I have a flaw in my life. Therefore, I, I'm, being, I'm being facetious when I say that, okay? It, it, it's possible that you're absolutely correct. I, my inner spirit resists what you just said. I don't like the criticism. I don't like the feeling of disapproval. But I need to hear what you said. And I need to think through that before God and allow him to bring correction to my heart if it's necessary. Do you see the difference? A proud person resists. They, they dismiss. They destroy the person who criticized them. They don't deal with the issue because they're blind to the issue. They can't even see it because that's what pride does. Third symptom is this. My life is filled with constant conflict and tension. 1310 says this. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Pride makes me constantly critical, quick to expose faults in others, to lift myself. It is always at odds with others, and my life tends to have a pattern of relationships that rise and fall and fade away. Why? Because I am constantly critical, because I always think I'm right. That's what pride does. Pride makes me difficult, because it makes me insecure. The last symptom is this. I find myself at war with God. And this one I think is, wow. Proverbs 15, 25. The Lord tears down the house of the pride, but he protects the prosperity of widows. Widows here becomes a category for another word. What do you think that word is? The word humility, the humble. Think about this. God says, when you live with an overly high self-estimation that makes me irrelevant in your life, I will tear down your house. He does not mean your physical house. He means the house, that, 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 that image of you that you have constructed. God will not abide it. God hates it because it brings devastation not only to you, but to everyone in your sphere of influence. So if you're going through times where you feel like everything is against me, my life is being torn down. Maybe, maybe God is seeking to get your attention to protect you and to preserve your influence in his kingdom for his glory. Have ears to hear and realize that when I am proud, I invite God's opposition and I forfeit his support. First Peter 5 down at the bottom. It quotes Proverbs 3, 34. Peter says, oh, and here's a man who was familiar with pride, right? If all others deny you, I won't. I'll be there. I'll be faithful. I'll be true. I'll never deny you over my dead body. Peter later says this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace or helps the humble. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up. So what happens? In my pride, I resist and invite opposition from God, but in humility, I invite God's aid and support. When I am humble, I am much more consistent in my relationship with God. When I am filled with pride, I find that it's been a while since I've talked with God. 
because they don't need him. He's irrelevant. God opposes, he resists, he stands against pride. Posture yourself for favor, friends. Posture yourself to experience the blessing of God in your life that we, all of us, so desperately need. Humility invites God's favor, his presence, and his power. You know, when I was going through this, since I worked with some of the teens in the church, I thought about, thought about young people in our church. I thought about the tendency towards rebellion that's common, okay? And that tendency towards rebellion is often just as a desire to spread my wings and to start to take control of my life. After all, I'm a, I'm a teenager, right? I'm, I'm pre-adult, okay? So I, I just start having the right and the ability to start to make certain decisions in my life. I understand that. But as a young person, stay humble so that you can at least hear your parents. And sometimes you may need to say to them, Pastor Tim said I could say, I'll take that into consideration. <laughs> okay, please don't blame me for that. Okay, but it's a very good line to use. Okay, but always remember that they are your God-ordained authority. He wants you to be dependent upon them until you are out on your own and independent. Don't rebel against the mechanism of protection that God has put in your life. Sometimes you may not understand why they're saying what they're saying, why they're limiting your behavior in certain ways, but typically they have your best interest in mind. They do not benefit from restricting you and enduring your attitude, okay? Typically they care about you. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes their attitude stinks, but they care about you. A humble teenager is going to just, just sit back and recognize, I need the advice my parents are giving me. I do not want it. I hate it, but I need it. Okay, just it's important that you at least begin to get that. All right, let's, let's move on to these concluding thoughts. How do I break free from pride? Well, the answer is very simple, isn't it? Be humble. <laughs> Be humble, but the question is how? How do I, how do I cultivate a heart that is broken and changed, that is pliable, that is compliant with God's plans and purposes in my life. How do, I, how do I get there? I think one of the ways is to realize that at the root of my pride is a desire to be somebody, to be respected, to be adored, to be appreciated, right? That's at the root of my pride. How do I get to the opposite? Okay, and I want you to watch what the Proverbs say. Look at Proverbs 5.33. Oops, I didn't put that one on your sheet. I could blame Dave Mercer, but I sent him a PDF. All right, look at Proverbs 18, 12. It says, pride goes before destruction. Humility precedes honor. Okay, just think about that for a second. Pride goes before destruction. It is active. It is degrading and destructive. Pride goes before destruction. But humility precedes honor. Can I ask you a question? In your pride, in your sinful pride, what are you looking for? What do I want? I want you to adore me. Okay, I want you to appreciate me. I want you to affirm me. That's what I want. What does this text say? 
pride brings destruction. Humility brings what? Honor. The word honor in this text is used of God a few times in the book of Proverbs. And it talks about God's significance. It talks about the substance of God himself, the essence of who God is in an exalted fashion. Do you see what happens here? I want you to look at the other two Proverbs that I have. 22.4. True humility and the fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Proverbs 29.23. Pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. There's an irony here. The thing that I am sinfully seeking by pride and by self-effort and self-exaltation and degrading others and criticizing others and avoiding the advice of others, the thing I'm looking for is found in humility. And to me, that is a most amazing truth. What you're looking for is found not in pride. It'll actually tear that away from you. That desire to be somebody, to, to be important, to make a difference, to have, understand how I say this, some level of significance. It's not a God complex, but a level of input and significance. You know when that comes? That comes when you walk in humility. The world around you gets that. When people talk to me about their bosses, they always praise the humble. They adore them, they esteem them, they give them significance and substantive affect in their lives. And they always hate the proud. Always. Do you see? The path to what I desperately desire is found in my relationship to humility. It is found in my humility before God when I am changed and made suitable and made helpful and substantive in this life. It's not found by pulling myself up. It's, down, it's found by, in, in a very reckless sort of way like Jesus, serving others. He begins to change me. He begins to make my life count because now suddenly people that before ignored me say, I'll take that into account. All right, I'll think about that. Right, because when you're walking in humility, people will come to you for counsel. They are esteeming you. Don't do it for that reason, but understand there is something profoundly attractive about humble people that are strong. Okay, and I, I don't want to in any way point my wife out, but my wife is this sort of person. She is highly esteemed by people. They respect her. For some reason, they don't feel the same way about me. <laughs> and I know why. I can, be, I can be difficult at times. I am prone to self-defense. Okay, I don't like it when you criticize me. Okay, I'm not just being honest. I need it. Oh, I desperately need it. And when I know that it is a beautiful thing. But there is something about people that walk in humility, that, have the, that are deep waters, not raging rapids. They're deep water, they're currents. You can see the movement, the power, the force. Pride ends in humiliation, not humility. I want you to notice the difference. Humiliation is to be devastated. Humility is to be exalted. 
How do we overcome pride? Well, call it, number one, do this. Call it sin. Call it what it most plainly and clearly is. Proverbs 21, 4 says, Haughty eyes, a proud heart, and all evil actions are sin. I want you to think about that. Haughty eyes and a proud heart and evil actions are all sin. You know what I said to you at the beginning? It's easy for us to miss pride in our lives because it's not that overt sin like lust. Okay? It is a subtle sin that slowly devalues and dismisses God and puts me on the throne of my life. May God help us. If I'm going to overcome it, I must first realize that it is sin and pray that by the grace of the fruit of the Spirit in my life, that these attitudes of love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, those attributes of Jesus would be manifested in my life by a miracle of his grace. I need the Spirit of God to help me to see pride when it is present in my life. I can't see it. I'm blind to it. I justify it. I need God's help. But when you see it and you realize that it is sin, confess it. Don't tolerate it. Don't coddle it. Don't justify it. Deal with it. Cultivating humility happens when I remember that all that I am and all that I have ultimately comes from God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, which I put for you at the bottom of the sheet. Paul asked this question. And it's, it's in the context of, of people debating over who's more effective, Paul, Apollos, or Peter, okay? Paul responds by saying, you guys are being proud of your leader. You want to say that I have allegiance to him so that you look better. You're using us. And he responds by saying, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, who makes you different from anyone else? Meaning you're trying to distinguish between us. Can I make a point back? What makes you different from each other? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? One of, the, one of the ways that we assault pride, one of the ways that we tear it down in our lives is we realize that the thing that distinguishes you from those around you is God's gifting. That's what distinguishes you. It's not to say that hard work doesn't matter. Okay, please understand how I say that. Your hard work and effort is critical but it is not enough. Okay? Paul says, let the truth that everything you have comes from God, let that humble you, that talent, that capacity, that intellectual ability, acknowledge that is a gift from God. We sadly take pride in accomplishments that God-given abilities and talents made possible. Do you understand what I mean by that? We take pride in accomplishments that God-given talents made possible. Well, illustration. Some of you, within our, some within our church, are very good musicians. Okay? And there's a word that helps you to understand why some people excel in certain areas. Sandy excels at playing the flute. Okay? To the glory of God. Right? God gave her an aptitude. And she has surrendered that capacity to the service of God. So that he is glorified. And when he's glorified, I'm in my right place. 
But I need to realize that who made you so good at that, Sandy? God gave you a talent, right? I took guitar lessons for three years. I remember going to a youth event and I was going to be playing guitar. I was so woefully inadequate in spite of years of trying. Okay, my parents paying. Uh, I went to Clemmer's Music Studio. No matter how hard I tried, my fingers are fat. <laughs> they don't fit on frets. Okay, they want railroad ties. Okay, I bar chord. When I did a bar chord, my fingers stuck straight out. When I, the harder I pushed, the harder they stick out. You cannot do a chord like that. Okay, I was terrified. I tried. I don't have that aptitude. Sandy has it from God. It's a talent, a gift that God gave you. And that should humble us. Paul's saying, why would you take credit for what God gave you? It's like when somebody wins the lottery and brags that they're a millionaire. You're kind of like, you are an idiot. You're, you're, just, you're a jerk. You're just, what's your problem? Right? I'm going to tell you something. God made me average at so many levels. Okay? I average. <laughs> Everything. I play my son-in-laws in pickleball, and I always end up on the losing team. And they're always asking, the three of them are always asking, who's the weakest link? <laughs> well, once you've played with all three of them and lost, they remind you that you're the weak link. Okay, I find that devastating. <laughs> if you're talented and have aptitude in technology, have sympathy on people like me when I call you. Okay, if God gave you an aptitude, don't brag about it. Use it to help your pastor. Okay? <laughs> this, church, this truth changes how I relate at church, at work, with my mate, with my kids and my neighbors. Use God-given gifts to humbly serve others and glorify God. Work hard at your craft and stay humble when God gives you success. Give him glory. Okay, I love the honest athlete that genuinely lives for the glory of God. And people almost across the board tend to despise arrogant athletes. Why? There's nothing attractive about it. But there's something profoundly attractive about humility. So remember that everything you have came from God. All your talents, all your capacities. Yeah, you worked hard. God bless you. And if you're highly talented, may God protect you. If you're successful, may God protect you. If you're attractive, may God protect you. If you're intelligent, may God protect you. Realize it's from him. And he trusted you, not me, with any of those things. For his glory and for his purposes. That you may be a blessing to others. I grow humility when I value others above myself. When I think less of myself. When I think like Jesus... Philippians 2, 3, each one of you should not look out for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus, who made himself nothing, took on the form of a servant, humbled himself to death on a cross for your saving. And you and I are no price. But he did it out of humility. He came, he emptied himself of all that he had the right to so that he could come and save rebels like you and I.
value others above yourself. Love like Jesus loved. You know, the greatest manifestation of the humility of Jesus Christ was his selfless sacrifice and love. It's John 13, right? When he washes the feet of his disciples because none of them would and none of them because of pride could. They all had the capacity, but they all lacked the willingness. And he put on a towel and he washed their feet and he said, if I, your Lord and creator, wash your feet, shouldn't you? Ought you not? Wash one another's feet. I want to make a confession, okay? As a pastor, I might say something like, I love to preach or communicate God's word. I can say that. The question is, why do I love it? Does that make sense? The question isn't, do I love what I do? what I've been called by God to do. The question is not, do I love it? The question is, do I love you? Because I can step into the pulpit on a Sunday morning so that I might be appreciated, admired, rather than to love you. When I get nervous when I'm prepared to preach, is that God? Is that me being, 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 being twisted up a little bit that I might get the truth clear so that it helps people in the best way? Typically, it's not. Typically, it's I want you to see me in a certain way or a certain fashion. I want you to affirm me and adore me. That's the sinful tendency so that I can be doing this work for a sinful reason. That's, that's humbling. That's convicting. But I feel like I need to say that to you as a pastoral team. We need to say that to you so that you understand. Pray for us that we work out of love and the desire to see God glorified. To see you encouraged. Not to tear you down. Not to beat you up. Not to give you conviction. But to see your life changed by the power of God and for the glory of God in a way that we can't take credit for. Here's the irony of preaching. I've preached those sermons where I get down and I was thinking to myself, I hope that wasn't as painful for them as it was for me. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? Well, like, man, that was hard. Okay. My fear is disapproval. My fear is not being appreciated. My fear is being criticized. You know what all that finds its strength in? It finds its strength in my pride. And I want you to know that so you know how to pray for us. I think the ultimate way that we cultivate humility is by glorying in and revisiting the cross of Christ. But the sinless son of God stood in my place, took what I deserve, so that I could be forgiven and set free. So that he could make me his son and daughter. So that he could bring me into relationship with him eternally. Galatians 6.14 is a fascinating verse. Paul says, God forbid that I should boast, that I should take pride in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know what Paul's saying? When I get to the foot of the cross, I see that the ground is level. 
I see that we all come on the same footing. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And when we look up on the cross, there is one who has died to bear the full consequence and weight of our sin. You know what that does? It destroys all of your pride. I mean, you realize that you are in Christ because of the divine work of God, the sovereign work of God that has made a way for a sinner to understand the gospel, to come to a true sense of a need of repentance and brokenness, to no longer be ashamed of my sinfulness. I can, in front of the cross, I can say, God, this is my sin. Without restriction, I can name every bit of it because I understand that by the work of Christ, I am set free. And so Paul says, God forbid that I would glory in anything like I glory in the cross of Christ. When we stand at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We all come on the same terms. So there is no reason for Tim Hoff to ever exalt himself above one of you, ever, ever on your worst day. May God help us to identify pride and to cultivate a heart of humility so that we effectively and faithfully love and serve each other. Would you pray that? God, make me humble. God, root pride out of my life. All of its insidious and deceitful and devastating and damaging effects. I am guilty of that. Forgive me. Reminds me of the verse of one of my favorite hymns. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain, I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. What does the cross do? It erases, it annihilates, it obliterates, it destroys pride. And it makes you an effective, faithful, humble, Servant of God, stay near the cross. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, you know there's something strange about pride. Pride not only causes me to be arrogant and extroverted, pride also causes me to be introverted and to hide. And it's possible that you came here today knowing that you are a sinner in need of a savior. You, you hide, you feel shame about your life. You wonder if you could ever be accepted and appreciated and forgiven and free. And I want you to know this morning that we, we don't come here because we, as Carmel has told us, because we have it together. We come here because we don't have it together. And when we want God to reorganize and reorient our lives according to his plan and purpose so that we can make a difference in people's lives. Not so that we can be proud. God help us. Don't ever allow progress induced by the spirit of God to make you proud of what God has done. And, and, and if you've come here this morning, you say, Pastor Tim, I live with a deep sense of shame. I have secrets. I have things that no one knows. And so I hide. I isolate. I keep distant. I want you to know that the cross of Christ can set you free. I want you to know that the humble work of your Savior is enough to forgive you and to make you his child and to set you free. To make you the most humble person on the planet. 
but the most loved person on the planet. Don't hide. He died for you. Expose it and you will kill pride. See, there's a pride in hiding, right? I don't want people to know, so I hide it because I want to be seen in a certain way. That's a facade. It's a mirage. It's a lie. And it is devastating your life. There's hope in Christ. And if that's where you are this morning, even before you take communion, come to the front. Say, Pastor Tim, I need to confess faith in Christ today. I need to confess my sin to Christ today. Maybe you just come to the altar. And you say, God, I am... My life is riddled with pride. Pride in hiding my sin. Pride in being critical. Pride in devastating those around me. Broken relationships. I need his help. Confess that to him. And then eat that bread and drink that cup to the glory of God. Eat it today as a broken sinner who has met a humble savior. Who laid his life down for your saving. And for your forgiveness. Father as we go into your table this morning. I pray that we will come conscious of where we truly are right now. And Lord some of us may need simply to say to you God. I am a humble man. A humble woman. I am a. Or or I'm a proud man. Or a proud woman. I'm a proud teenager. I resist the authority that you've placed over me. God help me. Help me to see the benefit of the, of the blessings that you have brought into my life. So that when we eat of that bread and drink of the cup, there is no lie proclaimed. There is the blood of Christ proclaimed for our saving and for our forgiveness. So Lord, as we come, help us to examine ourselves. And then eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And in doing that, proclaim saving grace and gratitude for the blood applied. Bless this season of celebration. Glorify Christ in it. Exalt the cross in it, I pray. In Jesus' name.
was a wretch I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time Sin separated The breach was far too wide But from the far side of the chasm you held me in your sight So you made a way Across the great divide Left behind heaven's throne To build it here inside And there at the cross You paid the debt I owed Broke my chains, freed my soul For the first time I had hope Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white You have saved my life Brought me from the darkness Into glorious light You took my place Laid inside my tomb of sin You were Then you walked right out again And now death has no sting And life has no end For I have been transformed From the blood of the Lamb Thank you, Jesus, for the Thank you, Jesus.
says this it says for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve by giving his life as a freedom price for many we serve a humble savior and we are redeemed by his blood alone and that should make us the humblest people on the planet and the night before he was crucified jesus said this of the bread he said this is my body which is given, surrendered for you, do this in remembrance of me. After they had partaken of the bread, they took the cup also. And Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we uh, offer a time of fellowship out in the cafe. It's for everyone, but especially for you, so that you can have an opportunity to connect with some folks that perhaps you've never met or to reconnect with people that you know. Uh, we trust that you will stay and enjoy that season of fellowship with us. If you have any questions about what we discussed this morning, I'll be up front. Be very glad to talk with you, pray with you, whatever that need may be. Let's pray together. Father, as we go from this place this morning, may we walk in deep humility and may we walk in deep gratitude for the cross and blood of Christ. Lord, we are in Christ, not because of our performance, but because the Son of God shed his blood for our forgiveness so that we might become sons and daughters of God. Lord, this is the highest privilege that we have. But may that gift humble us and make us powerful people in the week before us for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you as you go.